Hey, welcome to Track Changes, the podcast of the post life. You know, one day I'm going to kick it off, Paul, because I'm it. feeling like a co-host. Then but you know you, what? No, no. Slap. This one's yours. No, no. Take Finish it. This take one. it. Do it. Do a better job, please. No, next time. Louder and funnier. No, next time. Do it. This is ugh, fine. It's Track Changes. I'm Paul Ford. My co-host is... Rich Ziotti. Great. All right. Rich, there's something we talk a lot about at the office. Yes. Do you want to say it or should I? I'll say it. Okay, go. LinkedIn. My God. Here's... No, but... I, <sighs> let's take a deep breath uh, here. Let's just pause for a second and take a deep breath. Uh, it is a massive success. LinkedIn is a it, massive... And you have to pause sometimes and, and ask yourself, why do you think this massive, massive success that most of humanity has embraced... Why do you think that's garbage? Do you what do you think of LinkedIn? Open, honest, full communication. There's no one else here. I think LinkedIn stumbled on something fundamentally needed, professional okay. connections. Okay. And just forgot to wash its hands ever before it touched the sculpture, the the clay, the mound of clay. Yeah, and it so just, it, it made something, but what it made is it's septic. It's just smarmy. It's there's I don't know what it is, and and well, let's talk about what LinkedIn is. I'm actually I have like ID number six thousand on LinkedIn. I, that's I, strong. It's horrible. I it's I feel really I want to sell it. Um, How many connections do you have? I have five hundred plus. Right, because they don't they they cut you off. At a let's talk point. about. The, well, let's talk about what it is. What is LinkedIn? Define it for humanity. I think it's a place where you establish your professional identity. Okay, and what do you put? You put stuff in there. It is effectively a modernized, if you want to call it modernized, resume. Okay, so very, very basically, you put in your whole sort of professional identity. Professional career. Your career. Your history. And then you, you identify people with whom you have worked or have some kind of professional relationship. You don't really, though. They, they tell you or they well, find you. They walk up to you and they put their hand out. I have friended people on LinkedIn or LinkedIn with You don't friend people on LinkedIn. You link in with them. You, you link connect. Them, connect. You connect. connect. You add them to your professional network on LinkedIn. That's what you do. That's right. And, and it became clear to me that I wasn't going to take advantage of these connections. Well, it's really hard to if you – unless you work, I think, in a specific part of middle management – like I think it's a it's a place where if you are a sales sales or a product manager at Microsoft or things like that where you need this professional identity you need people to be able to see it and then you need to be sort of publicly identified this way in order for people to hire you. Let's accept something here. We can talk about how gross LinkedIn is, but when we meet someone or we're going to have a meeting with someone we haven't met yet, we always we do hit a... I hit incognito. Mhm. And that little guy up on the right watches me check that person out on LinkedIn. I don't like that LinkedIn tells the person that I went and stood outside their bedroom window for a minute. LinkedIn has always been creepy. Hey. Most other things Paul are... walked over and stared at you for a second. It's not cool. Then walked away. It's not cool. You should take advantage of that moment of leering. 
It's weird, right? But we use it. Let's face it. We all use it. We all look up people on LinkedIn. There's no avoiding that LinkedIn carries the professional identity of at least America. At least America. Within its folks. And based on my experience with it, most of Eastern Europe and India. True. Very true. Now, let's talk about the connection mode, like the the interaction around the connection. Um, Joe Smith wants to connect with you. At first, I was flattered. When they first started happening to me, I'm like, wow, that's cool. Joe Smith wants to connect with me. After a while, it became clear as they were pouring in, these weren't really relationships. It was really someone, you're at a shitty little conference in Chicago, and someone walked up to you and put their hand out. Do you shake their hand, or you just sort of three quarters turn away and not shake? That's That, to me, the LinkedIn connection is just not being rude and just going ahead and shaking that person's hand. That's all it is to me. I just don't, I just don't want to be mean to people or rude or seem you know, that I, they're below me and I don't really want to deal with them. So I just shake everybody's hand. It's a little exhausting then because it's very clear that you just match some search term. Right. I'd like to think it's a little more than that, but that's just me trying to feel good about myself. I, Do you I, accept every connection? I mean, no, I, I, I erase a lot when they're, I mean, a lot of recruiters, a lot of sort of very vague you just invitations. Don't I just erase because I, because here's you, the problem. If it was just the connection, I would gladly accept it, but it's the connection followed by the introductory in-mail is just grievous. We're going to get to in-mail in a second. We also have to talk about the fact that the site is unattractive and deeply broken and that many things simply don't yeah. work on it, which we, is unusual at that scale. There's that, too. I need to talk about we the We need fact- about two to three hours to talk about LinkedIn. We're I have get one person topics. who's asked to be my friend on LinkedIn. His name is Andrew Madden. He works at Google. I don't know exactly why. He likes he, you. You're a writer. Maybe, you're you're maybe. a well-known person and okay. he wants to connect with you. I cannot connect with him. I have hit the connect button because every time I go to LinkedIn over oh, so like four whoa, months. This is a bug. Literally, about. his head is the dominant interface that experience I have on LinkedIn because it tells me over and over that he would like to be my friend. I've accepted that invitation maybe 150 times. And it won't go through. There's a bug. It won't go through. Okay. Park that for a second. Let's talk more fundamental. This isn't just about you, Paul Ford. Okay. That's a bug that I've never seen before on LinkedIn. I'll show it to you. I believe you. I want to show it to you but so let's bad. let's park it for a second. Let's okay. talk about this scenario. I didn't bother accepting the connection. And then three days later, I get this from LinkedIn. Sergey is still standing there. Yeah. Sergey's in front of you. In your bathroom. <laughs> He's in your face, and yeah. are you going to do it or not? What's wrong with you? Why are you such a monster? And I always give in. I always, You know why? It's almost like clearing your inbox. You just say, okay, okay fine, fine Sergey. Here, yeah, just, Sergey. here we go. Yeah. Come on in. And, and then the clock starts ticking for that Sergey email, that in-mail to come now. And then it comes in. Yeah. You admit it's it, weirdly like, formatted. <sighs> There's no carriage returns for some reason. It's, Hi, Rich. I saw from your profile that you may be interested in COBOL programmers. Yeah. I have over 37 COBOL programmers, some of whom are dressed as people but are actually dogs. Right. Please contact. Immediately, I'm ready to come by. Yeah. And that's one. That's that? one variety. Yeah, it's a very common variety. Uh, selling services. Selling services. LinkedIn is used to sell services. And you got to wonder. You know, I wonder if we're being too self-centered about this whole thing. I mean, is our are, are florists taking advantage of LinkedIn in well, a really a, positive, a, healthy way? Look, there's I, we a don't larger know issue here, which is that being on the other side of sales is pretty exhausting, 
right? Like you just, people love to do a cold call. It's very easy. It's very cheap. If you're a person who doesn't have yep. social anxiety about just getting in touch with someone and saying, uh, hey, I want to tell you all about things. I want to come by your office. I want to touch your, touch your neck. Yeah. Like if you're comfortable sending that email, you can send that email. Yeah. And, and if you're a person like you or me where it's like, I'm an introverted person fundamentally and human interactions are quite costly for me. Yeah. Right. So I get that sales email and I invariably, I write back to them now. I, for a while I didn't, I would just erase them. Really? But I, I need to shut it down because otherwise. Oh, not interested. Thanks for your note. Yeah. Just I'm like if, if we, if we need outsourced services in the future, I'll be sure to let you know I've added your name to our list of you vendors. You write all that? Yeah. Because it's just, I want them to, I want them to stop. Yeah, I'll get that same email 35 times. I had somebody sending me pictures of badgers, literally like, hey, do I seem like this to you? And they're sending me like a funny meme about a badger. Wow. Because they're, they're kind of trying to be cool. And it yeah. made me laugh a little bit, but I'm just like, couldn't you just chill? Yeah, you, you nailed it. It's a cold calling tool. I mean, it is effectively, to a large extent, a cold calling tool. Except There's if, no other way to get... You could buy email lists, I think, still these days. Totally. But, no, no, totally. But, but if you pick up a phone... And you're getting cold called, you're just like, never call me again. Yeah. Why with email is it so hard to write back and be like, or with LinkedIn, be like, I have no desire to have any future conversation with you? The work. And it feels more personal, right? It, well, you're talking to, I never answer a, my, I, I get I get cold calls on my cell phone and I, it's like Arizona or whatever and I never pick it up. But I think LinkedIn is like almost like a cognitive hack. Like we haven't built up an immune system that tells us to just like, please, please just show me the baseline respect and stop trying to like offer real estate services to me at 7.30 Who are you PM. talking to though? Everyone right now. I'm angry at the world. No, no, no. Are you talking to LinkedIn or are you talking to the person who sent you the note? Both. The person sent you notes trying to make a living. They are. And I don't blame them for that. That's okay. Okay. But they're, we've created this communication framework where most of the burden is the person who receives the communication. Yes. It's very but that's, cheap. that's, you know. I can sit on LinkedIn all day and I can hit a thousand people and then ask them if they're interested in my tooth cleaning service. Yes. But it, it masquerades as personal human interaction. But that's that's how it goes. Right. So that just means that the whole thing fundamentally, it though, goes. it's just a spam engine and all the professional connections are basically useless. But like if Facebook was like that, we would all just back off from Facebook. Why do we let LinkedIn do it? Because the agenda around Facebook is to just connect socially. Okay. The agenda around LinkedIn is not. It's so to do prof business. Professional connections are much more abstract than personal ones. It can be actually kind of, they no, can it, be spam. No, it's unsolicited sales. Facebook right. is not unsolicited sales. Well, some of my friends on Facebook are I'm unsolicited definitely unsolicited. sales. Yeah, me too. But, <laughs> but Facebook does this with events. It's like, come to my thing. Yeah. My horrible thing. But at thing. least, isn't it in the circle of like, you know, your weird cousin who... It is, but it's always like this sort of like, you, you know, every single friend gets that invitation to that reading and housing works for the... Blah, 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 yeah. It's, it's deadly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think part of this also is just the experience of LinkedIn. There is something really seedy it is, it's, about it, the LinkedIn experience. And what I mean by experience, I mean the visuals of it, the interactions around it. It's here's, really Here's what strange. I would say. I agree it's, with you, especially on like... like it's my browser it, starts sweating. It does. And, and, and the notifications are always a little off, always a little wrong. Like they, they, exactly. They, but we don't know. InMail is like the sort of bastard son of mail. Here's the thing about like We don't know though. who the father is. It's you go and you hit that thing and like it's pretty bad. But then you go over to the content part where people yeah. are publishing 
and it's it's an actual atrocity. Yeah. Like it's a tornado of yeah. corporate garbage. Yeah. <laughs> and it really like, we go. Here's the thing. You know what LinkedIn is like? It's well, no, like, because I feel now I'm doing we're doing this podcast, I gotta put it there on LinkedIn. So I've started to go and observe. And I mean, it's a hellscape. It's literally like we always go. The There's thirty-seven tips that you need in order to entrepreneurialize your entrepreneurship. Yeah, and it's just—it's more solicitation, really. It is it's just masked as well, it's content. Tr- this is the tricky thing, right? What what we're doing right now is solicitation masked as content. Whoa! I know, right? That hurts. It's that true, hurts, though. Like, but no, but we got to put really our, We have to put our podcast yeah. on LinkedIn. You make me do things I'm very uncomfortable with in no. the name of sales. I know. We yeah. go look to through what this. The re- what the listener doesn't know is like you're, you will lean over to me and be like, you have to write him that email right now. You have to capitalize on that relationship. These are things that happen personally between you and I, Paul. This is not for public I feel that the public needs to know. Okay. Right. But no, I mean, this is the part. Our of marketing it. strategy is essentially me leaning over to you. And just like <laughs> kind of, yeah. So, so which is fine, right. right? Like that's that's one of the reasons we're partnered up is because I, I trust you to utilize and manipulate me appropriately. That's, I think, the bond that yeah. connects the two of us. Look, uh, LinkedIn, sir, look, we can complain about it, but we go. You know what LinkedIn is like? It's like the DMV. It's this shit right, what show, could be but better? we have to go. What could be better? What could, be, what, could, what could make life better for those of us who use LinkedIn? Uh, I is mean, there a way to fix LinkedIn? Is there like a, a three or four things you could do where you'd be like, actually, this is a good experience. I'm happy to be here. You know... LinkedIn, I think, if they raise the bar on how you can communicate, okay, the criteria around how you can communicate, then the value of what gets communicated goes up for the recipient. But they don't. They let you kind of go at it. Like you can connect with anyone, and then once you're connected, the connection, I think, is the flaw of LinkedIn. Because everybody just goes ahead and connects just to get it out of their hair, once that connection is made, LinkedIn reads that as a green light to communicate. And, and I think what ends up happening is you get garbage everywhere. And the, the truth is LinkedIn is a business. It's trying to you know, maximize communication and, and charge for that, I guess. I don't know exactly what they're So it's like you go to a right. business networking event and this guy puts you in a corner and gives you his card and starts to tell you about his like um, – he wants to sell shoes online. And right. that's cool. And you're like, okay, yeah. hey, I enjoy talking to you. My friend Sam's over there. I'm going to go talk to Sam for a while. Yeah. Except the way that this works is that – that guy now follows you for the rest of your life. He follows you into the subway, back yep. to your house. He takes a bath with he you. He can hit you as many times as he, as yeah. he wants. And, and I think that's the, you know, is it, is it a LinkedIn flaw or is it a, you know, a business, you know, it's just it's how business works. I'm not that familiar with the dynamics. Let of, me throw out a UX fix then. It's that someone who you haven't interacted with on LinkedIn for more than, so first of all, like, like over like, let's say six months has passed. Shouldn't it flag like you haven't heard from this person in a while? Like what's a way that But I'd get that from eight hundred people. You haven't heard from eight hundred people in a while. I think you know when you connect, there's a second checkbox that says, Yes, allow this person to communicate with me. Yeah, that's true. Separate the communication from the relationship. Yes. And maybe treat them more as broadcasts rather than direct communications like, hey, um, I haven't heard from you in a while. There's like these little tricky moves they make, which is like, you know, you haven't responded since we last spoke. They do these things. And I, I paused when they did that trick in the beginning. I was like, oh, shit, I, I, I messed up. I was supposed to call them back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just them, you know, trying to trip you up into thinking there is a real link there. Is there a social network that creates genuine human relationships? It's pro- Facebook does. Facebook 
policing of quality, I think, was key for its growth. And I think they policed it well. And But the thing is, you know, LinkedIn's puzzle is way tougher than Facebook's, in my view. LinkedIn's puzzle was around business and helping people make money. And Facebook's is not fundamentally. It's a social network. And then off to the side, they will sell me a lot of iPhone battery cases. We have to stop talking about LinkedIn. I'm getting depressed. Best of luck to LinkedIn. Great. And everyone in my eight. I just a big shout out to my 800 and some odd connections on LinkedIn. Love you guys. Love you. Post Light, you know us from our events or our podcast. You're listening to it right now. You also know us from our newsletter at trackchanges.postlight.com, or maybe you've even subscribed through MailChimp. Well, did you know that Post Light is an agency in New York City that builds big, beautiful technology things? Let's say you're somebody who works at a healthcare company, a finance firm, a media company, and you think to yourself, I got to do something about that app. Or you think to yourself, our website is a huge burning pile of garbage and everyone involved is in trouble. Well, we are the place you call. You come to us and you say, I have this enormous garbage fire. What am I going to do? And we say, don't worry. We know how to both put out garbage fires and build beautiful, gorgeous technology structures on top of the charred earth that remains. Technology is a very hard industry. It's hard to get stuff built. And we're pretty good at it. Um, the co-founders, which is me, Paul Ford, and Richard Ziade, have 20 years of experience in the business, and we have more than 30 of the best product developers, product managers, engineers, and interaction designers that you can find in New York City or even San Francisco. So if you're looking to get something built, get in touch with Postlight. You can send us an email at contact at postlight.com, contact at postlight.com, and we would love, love to hear your worst problems in total confidence. We will never share them with anyone. And uh, we will give you lots of free advice and figure out if there is a way forward. And there's almost always a way forward. Thank you. Contact at postlight.com. So we've had some really interesting people so far on the podcast. We've talked about FBI and Apple, but I want to talk about something that we haven't really dug into really, and that's design. We are, we are in many ways a design shop, and we pride ourselves in actually having both engineers and designers in the same building. Well, what we really pride ourselves on is that it's kind of a blurry line It's for a blurry us, line. We right? like that. It's hard, it's hard to talk about that in the big outside world. Like people, right. people like People like wireframes and prototypes and don't necessarily want to think about ugly APIs underneath them serving up the data like fire hoses. Right. They just want the whole ball of product. Right to show up Something that, and that's fine and it, we like that we like that it's a you know we're product driven and, and design and engineering both represent themselves and work together and dance together to did you ever design product. professionally yes what, what did you design just interfaces i mean writing spec often required design to Throwing, show up yeah. i did too i mean i it, yeah. i think you started the weird thing about the web early days is you started like you opened a Photoshop, and then you wrote some Perl on the side, and you yeah. had a website. Yeah. Prototyping was really hard, and there's an explosion in, pro- in prototyping tools. That's a weird, we're in a weird moment right now because it used to be that the people who could make a website actually appear on the screen, like doing that as a casual activity and exploring how HTML worked and like just hitting reload on your browser was bizarre. You'd go do it all in Photoshop. Someone else would cut it up into chunks, 
Yep. And that's how you'd have it. Still, design. by the way, how much Most of, of the it. world still works. Yeah, true. Yeah. I think So what what is a prototyping tool? We should explain to people. To me, it's a simulation of what could ultimately be an app or web or mobile experience. All right, so let's let's talk about the things that people do, right? So one of the things people do is wireframes. Correct. What are wireframes? Wireframes are black and white unstylized representations of people love to use the term low fidelity low fidelity it's just sort of a way it's it's a it's sort of like sort of taking a piece of paper out and sketching what you, this thing is going to look like from a first person perspective it's literally a set of rectangles so you'll see like there'll be a, a rectangle with an x in it on the top of the page and that's the, where the picture is going to go and right. then there'll be some laura ipsum correct placeholder text saying here's the headline correct and that's what the idea there is that you can't fully trust the client if you show them something too finished. But if you show them some rectangles and you say, this is what we're going to go build and get them to sign off on that, then everyone can be in a rough accord. Well, it's not just the client. It's, it's a wireframe is a form of communication. Right. It, it, it may be the thing you walk the engineers through. It may be the thing you show a client or a customer, internal customer or whatever. It is a type of communication. There's often a focus on making wireframes. Like for a while, everyone was adding a lot of like squiggles to them so they would look hand-drawn. Yeah. It looked a little was, rough. Yeah. So that it That's was, right. It would constantly – there was a tool – there still is. There's a tool called Balsamic. And yeah, like I'm familiar the with it. Elements of the wireframes all look hand-sketched so that no one – will take it too seriously and everyone can and, and assume that these rectangles are in any way final. I think that's one of the signals that's sent out. Yeah. Yes. Well, wait, and then there's mocks, which right. tend to be in Photoshop. Like this is how the pages are going to look. More yeah. work, more final. Wireframes are great because you can usually slap them together in, in minutes or hours. Uh, maybe. No, I mean without – Depending on the depth and breadth of in the In terms of the actual designing. implementation, like moving the rectangles around is really fast. You might have to think about it for two weeks. Yeah, and there may be a lot of them. Right. But actually complicated – Doing the design in Photoshop, creating a mock of what a site looks like, if it's anything significant, takes quite a while. Yes. Not just thinking time, implementation and sort of craft time. Yes, because then you're, you're thinking about – you're stylizing at that point, and you're truly designing. And well, you're always designing, but you're truly thinking in terms of brand colors and typography and stuff like that. It's a lot of work. Okay, so rectangles, and then on on the Photoshop side, you're seeing real you're seeing real pixels. And mm-hmm. You're going to cut that up and make a website. But suddenly, in the last couple of years, there's a new way of working, and that's using prototyping tools. Correct. Good one is uh, there's one called Envision. I think it sort of seems to be sprinting ahead as it really, the leader. It's web-based. You can go to Envision It's, it's app. actually kind com, of a SaaS product. I think everything is – you just put everything on Envision. It's That's just right. all And so it doesn't just and, give you the wireframes. It actually lets you kind of model how like – like let's say you want to build an iPhone application. Yes. You go to Envision and you actually say like it needs to have this kind of menu. It needs to have – there's going to be a picture here. So on and so forth, and it lets you click on the prototype, like on the on the on it's the interactive, screen. yeah, yeah, and see how the app is going to look and feel. Yes, and and that is a huge leap, also, because if you had to communicate the interactions with wireframes, it's really hard to do. You have to essentially have a stack of them, and really kind of explain that if you okay, so if I tap this, 
it goes over here, and, the, and this moves here, and this slides up. So you it's, know, it's all communication. To me, this is all communication. That's the thing. I have these written... are people, what people may not process really is that these are tools for one group that has one set of professional skills to tell people who may not understand anything about the underlying technology what they're going to do. And the reason these things exist is because what you're going to do often runs into the tens, hundreds of thousands, or millions of dollars. How do, you know, there's an analogy I love to use, which is if you've decided to build that office building, which is going to cost a few hundred million dollars to build, right? It's worth it to spend about a hundred grand to build a small scale model of it. Right. A, a model that is in, in 3D, because it's a model, it's actually to scale. Uh, you can walk around it. You can see some flaws that you would not have seen if you just stared at blueprints. And it costs a lot of money, but it costs way, way, way less than, holy hell, I can't believe we put the escalator there. What a disaster. While you're constructing the lobby of an office building. What happens is, you know, when you break ground and start to do that work, the cost of change goes up exponentially. And you need to really kind of understand and be able to make decisions and commit to certain things earlier in the process. Uh, I think that's your point around balsamic being a sketch. It's cheaper. The way to put this is change is cheaper earlier. And by earlier, we mean what sort of artifacts have you created that communicate what this thing is going to be without pouring concrete? Here's what's tricky to me about. So first of all, it used to be the prototyping was almost an unnatural act. Like people could understand Photoshop comps because they were thinking about web pages, right? They were thinking about this sort of like that was back when publishing to the web was a publishing act. Like you would put a page up and so on and so forth. So yeah. the idea that all this stuff was dynamic and moving around and flying and that you might want to actually use your mouse to see what it was going to be like was alien to people. And what they, they liked Photoshop comps. They liked the wireframes. Now well, we're, I'm, 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 I think they didn't know any better. I mean, I, if you had given me a Photoshop comp that I could click around, that would have been a revelation. Wait, you didn't build it yet? And I get to see what this experience is going to feel like? You That's know, I built stuff cool. like that, and people found it really puzzling. They wanted the pro- People get locked in the process. They trust process. Hmm. They don't trust somebody showing up and going, I've done this already. Well, you notice, I think I've built a lot of – I've helped build and designed a lot of things that were a lot more – complicated and really true applications that they really had no reference. They were caring a lot less about the style of it in Photoshop than they were about, well, this is a seven-step process. How are you going to do this? Right. So it was different. I think the demands were different. And I think that a lot of times we built stuff, we didn't even call it a prototype, but it was just the front end wired to nothing. It was just web stuff. It was HTML, CSS, rough, not production ready. That was just a way to communicate what the six, six steps were going to be like. And we often got that sign off and then took that and went further because we haven't built all the other stuff yet. Let me ask you a question, which is, okay, you got Envision over here. They just bought – they're buying companies. Pretty yeah, they're well funded exploding, company. yeah. Exploding. Over here is the finished product. Over here to my right. Over here on my left is the prototype. Yeah. Left is the prototype. Right is the finished product. Yes. Why can't I essentially hit print on the prototype and have a real working app in my hand at that moment? What is like, would the people know, like what happens in between? Why can't we just like start with the prototype, add some cool code to the prototype and then ship that? Well, I think the easiest way to answer that is mobile. You're not generating mobile 
code that can be compiled for iOS out of the prototype. Why not? I think some of them try to spin up stubbed code, like just starter code, so to speak, off of what you've been producing. They do, I right? know that some spit up H, you know, the, the web end of things. Do you think my that's... in my experience that and I don't want to speak for everyone, but you know, front end, you know, coders don't like it. They don't like it. Well, when... this is back when we were kids, essentially younger. Doing, and you'd get like someone would give you a website produced in Microsoft Home site or Dreamweaver, and you'd look under the hood. It's a hell. It was hell. Well, there was no abstraction. It was just a pile of like whatever worked it's to machine make generated stuff. Purely, and it was purely focused on optics. It's Correct. like this looks like what you put into the box. Therefore, it is done. Look, the truth is, back to the architecture construction analogy. The truth is, it gets messy. The truth is, it gets. You're not going to see everything. The good news is the architect can wear a hard hat, show up on the site, and answer some questions about how it's okay to move that pipe three feet to the right because it doesn't have a large, you know, a, a major impact on the general infrastructure, blah, blah, blah. You know, building stuff means things are going to be in motion. And while it's really nice to hit a button and hope that something magically turns into product, it never works like that. The stuff's complicated, and there are things that are unforeseen that will come up as you build. I mean, I'm thinking, and that's okay. That's why he's asked to wear that hard hat while he's in a suit still, and to show up on the site and answer questions. Uh, that's how it goes, right? So, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm thinking like, let's say the app requires you to log into Twitter in yes. order to use the overall application. Yeah, it's hard to prototype that, right? Like, it's hard to like. Get that connection right because maybe it also needs to like send a signal back that you did this. If you're the, using other services or calling an API or whatever, it's hard to model that in the prototyping. Well, you'll tool. simulate it. But I think that what's interesting is that you can see these prototyping environments are starting to evolve to the point like maybe at one point you're going to right click on the element in your prototype. And you're going to start messing around with that and talking to a live API. And like some things do let you do this. I've, I've seen this stuff. It does hit a weird cultural wall. You know, I got to tell, and I, again, I'm going to speak for all the engineers in the world for one second. There's 18 million of them. I know. I'm going to speak for all of them right now. They don't like to be told how to execute on something. In my experience, they know which library they want to use to wire up to Twitter. And they don't want to be told, they don't want to be given cookie cutter uh, starter packs on how to do that. From like Dreamweaver? Yeah. yeah. The non-engineers love it. It's like, holy hell, this is pretty sweet. I'm all wired up. But the, 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 the people who take their craft really seriously don't like starter packs. They don't like pre-cut so stuff to start with. Maybe they'll, they'll take a look at it, but they don't like it. So they don't like it. But should they learn to like it? Because it would save a zillion dollars and they could just get used to that and build. I mean, what's the advantage of spending a lot of money on engineers who don't like the nice output that you get from some goofy prototyping tool. Well, it, look, if, if you've got good talent, they're not reinventing the wheel. They're not going to write a new way to talk to Twitter from scratch. There's probably something on the shelf that's going to take care of that. So there are pre-canned libraries and components that you can grab and take advantage of that don't come out of a prototyping tool. Right. Okay. So there's Prototy- whole- like engineers probably look at prototyping tools and view them as mostly like crayons. It's, it's design and plus construction paper. Yeah, and that's fine, and that's good, and that's useful, hugely useful in terms of communication. Again, I think it's a communication tool. Here's my prediction. I think that the prototyping tools slash creative industry 
will do its damnedest to try to make their tools into the way that you deliver finished mobile applications. Good luck. Okay. Yeah. And I think that that's, but I think that we're going to see like years of people saying how this is good enough. You know why that worries me though? It's because ultimately you need a compromise. You need engineers and designers to work together and know what the hell is up in each other's world in order to innovate it at all. Yeah. If you give people a set of widgets and you're like, here's how animation should work, they're going to use those. Even if they're really smart and really creative, they're going to start there and build on top of that. And that's okay. That becomes their alphabet. It's good. It's useful. But every now and then you need them to kind of like look over here and and come up with some new way to do something, something that's going to really surprise people. Which can't come out of a predefined SDK bunch of of widgets. widgets. Exactly. Exactly. SDK stands for, what does SDK, do you know? Something software, development, software, software development, development software development kit. That's right. So it's a set of like, if you use Android or iOS, there's an SDK with all those little widgets that you like, like the the you know the back buttons on your apps and yep. the, the way the text looks and the way that lists work. Yeah, that's all defined for you by your friends at Apple and Google. Yep. There's a reason why apps are, for the most part, pretty consistent. Yeah, in how you get in and out of them and what they look like. Right, because all that stuff is done for the programmer. The lords of the various platforms preach consistency yeah there are guidelines that are put out i mean apple is famous we don't talk about it as much this way but the web is also an sdk it has forms that you fill out and it has you know it's just much more no but apple and i mean really prides itself on how much it polices they lock you down you know the web you can should work you can set that on fire at any moment which is you know there's a that's double-edged because there's not a lot of there's not a ton of innovation in terms of interactions that happen and not a lot of invention in terms of the experiences because of that kind of police. No, it's true. What we see are these very buttoned up, very sort of elegant interactions. Yeah, and yeah, then it you works see, and it's familiar and that's great. And the web is a, a playground filled with drunken children. And Correct. then every now and then someone's like, that drunken child just said something amazing. Everyone's Write it down. That's and then right. you'll see that kind of migrate back in. Exactly. All right. So you're pro prototyping tools overall. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, you don't think they're going to take over the industry in any way. Take over like, the building like, of like actual start, stuff? People will start building them, building using like uh, Envision instead of Xcode. Look, th- there is a strain of tools out there that do that and do it successfully. Like Squarespace is not selling itself to web engineers. It's selling itself to non-engineers and saying, we're going to build, we're going to give you the tools that are easy to use and you'll have something really beautiful and you don't have to go get engineers and spend a lot of money. Squarespace does this. Wix, I think, is another one. I've I, seen TV knows? ads. Uh, so there is a there is a there is a a sort of category of these. But in terms of you know these prototyping tools to graduate into stuff that's actually giving you pre-cut code that just falls in, I think it's a really steep hill uh, in my view. But never say never. I don't know. Maybe somebody just solves everything and then we all just. Stop coding and what the hell? buy food trucks. What are we going to do? You want to open trucks. a food truck? I'd do yeah. that with you. Yeah. I mean, we already spend basically every day about four feet from each other. We could do it in a little truck making tamales. I'd be Ooh. fine with that. It's oh a boy. lot. It'd be a lot. Oh, boy. Yeah. It'd be a lot for the families to handle, but yeah. we, could, we could do it. So I don't think it's going to – there is no silver bullet here in my view. But I think it's a great tool. It's a great communication tool. It's a great way to communicate what's coming. Well, Rich, we did it again. Achieved. Wow. Mission accomplished. What an accomplishment today's show was. Yeah. Um, I, I can't wait to get It just get keeps back getting better and better. That's ah, the thing. I'm learning so much just every time. Yeah. It's great to spend another hour with you. Uh, always, Paul. Yeah, actually, this show is only a half hour, but it did seem a little longer. 
Uh, it always seems, seems a little longer. A little longer. Well, you know, <laughs> uh, we'll talk to everybody really soon. If you have any questions at all, contact at postlight.com. Any parting words of wisdom? Um, okay, well, we'll talk to you next week. <laughs> Oh,